spooky, scary. Boys becoming men, men becoming wolves. Werewolf for mitzvah, spooky, scary. Boys becoming men, men becoming wolves. You are now listening to Enter VR, the podcast where we talk about all things virtual reality. My name is Chris Miranda, your host, and on today's show, I'm speaking with the co-founders of Merge Labs. Uh, these guys are creating something really cool. Um, I think that it is quite necessary uh, what they're coming up with, and I'm just gonna, you know, start start the show off by really welcoming you both, Franklin and Andrew, um, for being on the show. Thanks, guys. Uh, Chris, thanks for having us on. Hi, Chris. Thank you. Cool. So before we get to... Actually, let's get out of the way. What is Merge Labs and what is it that you guys are working on? Well, at Merge, I guess the best way we can describe it is, you know, we're really building casual VR. Um, The way that we look at it, uh, you know, there's this giant market of mass, uh, you know, the mass... uh, users out there who want casual experiences and they're people who you know are a little bit different you know than all of us you know participating in this call and maybe listening to this podcast and that you know they're not currently virtual reality enthusiasts um some you know they range in terms of how tech savvy they uh they are and what we're trying to do is build uh, a platform an integrated platform that makes virtual reality accessible and accessible has a couple of key dimensions. One of those is, is price point, but it's also, you know, ease of use is probably the most important factor, um, as well as making it approachable and friendly. So uh, our platform has a couple of elements. The one that we're probably most famous for, for those who met us, is uh, the Purple Foam headset. Um, you know, a very unique headset, uh, but it has a lot of functional advantages that we can kind of talk about. Uh, another big piece is that we're creating a, a gestural controller, kind of a, a mini Wii, if you will, for mobile. Um, you know, an SDK and a discovery portal where, uh, you know, we're trying to solve the discovery problem, you know, not only for developers, but also for the users. You know, users don't like wading through hundreds of thousands of junk apps. They want to, you know, find the good stuff. And so we think helping them to do that helps both communities, you know, the users and the developers. So uh, kind of in a nutshell, that's what we're building. Very nice. What I've, uh, what I've, took away from trying out the so what is the name of the prototype are you guys calling it merge or what's it going to be called we call it the merge vr platform uh and probably the working titles that we'll go with for the product is the headset will be the merge goggles and the controller uh the merge grip controller and the discovery uh platform the uh, merge start app the sdk will just be the sdk sweet so essentially what you do is you you grab your smartphone and you slide it inside the merge goggle platform and then you hit play and you and you go and uh, what the cool thing that i that i took away from trying it out was the fact that it was this very you know very versatile foam uh, material that you guys are using I, I feel like i could drop that foam goggle off of a 20-story building and it'd be just fine <laughs> Uh, I think that's really cool. The other thing that I think is really cool was the fact that it has antimicrobial properties. Um, and that is huge to me uh, because I'm not a germophobic, but I'm uh, germ conscious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so I find that 
really cool. You know, talk to me about, tell me uh, about the process of coming up with the, the product and, uh, and the prototype and, you know, what sorts of, you know, how did you reach to the point where you are now with it? Sure. Yeah, and uh, I'll just sort of uh, mention that I, I am a germaphobic, so you know, the antimicrobial aspect of it is really important to me, and um, also the uh, the fact that the, the foam itself is a closed cell foam, so you can just really wipe it off. Um, Want to make it um, you know as as friendly as possible, and you you know when you um, when you think about these virtual reality headsets, you are putting them on your face, and uh, it's a very personal part of. Uh, your body, and uh, we're trying to solve you know that first step in the problem of consumer adoption, which is just removing that anxiety of of uh, you know exploring this new technology. It's it's very high tech, and for us, it's like yeah, we're going to jump right into this. But um, for most people, they're they're a little hesitant to try new things. So we're really starting at that point of what's the first step for consumers in, in in order to adopt this new technology. So the foam is just really um really approachable people are actually drawn to it when when we uh when we go around uh, carrying these things we actually have people reach out and ask us can i touch it can i feel it and uh you know that's a big win for us but um to talk about how we kind of started uh I've, I've been involved in uh technology and games for for a very long time and um working uh in uh, the augmented reality space for probably about the seven seven years or so now and uh really just trying to find a great application for it and when um when I got my hands on the first uh, uh, consumer or developer kit, uh, DK1, um, first thing I wanted to do is uh, figure out how to uh, make it an augmented reality device, and uh, I just started hacking away at it. And you know, I, I was building a lot of uh, plans around that, trying to kind of ex uh, kind of figure out what I could do with it to get it out there into the market, to where a lot of people could experience the stuff, uh, the stuff I wanted to make, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, started to think about a VR arcade or. VR laser tag and you know what it would uh, take to to get all these um, you know, Oculuses and in, in, in backpacks and you know um, complicated rigs and, and set up so that people could go in there and experience virtual reality because it's just so amazing so mind-blowing um, and you know through that process of really just trying to figure out how can I make it as accessible to people as possible um, I just it sort of dawned on me that you know um, as a mobile developer, like I have all these sensors in the phone, um, you know, I can I can probably uh, you know use the the, the phone for the, for uh, you know the delivery mechanism of this. And uh, so yeah, so I basically started uh, prototyping stuff. Um, I think it was probably like two in the morning. It's like one of those situations where you get that idea and you jump out of bed and uh, took the lenses off the Oculus Rift and cut up some cardboard and you know hacked away at Unity and, and made a quick prototype and you know and it worked and we were just kind of blown away. Um, and made some some very simple experiences and, and started showing it off to people and, and you know these are just regular people um, you know family friends and um, and also uh, very tech savvy people and, and, and everybody was blown away they just thought it was such a great experience um, they, so the potential was there and uh, that's kind of when I, I realized that you know we were onto something um, so the the next step is trying to figure out okay we here we have this technology the technology is working. How do we make it as consumer friendly as possible? Um, and that's where uh, I started uh, prototyping with uh, with yoga blocks. It's one of those things where I was looking around, what would be a great material? So I, I literally was uh, taking a hacksaw to these yoga blocks and cutting out the shapes and um, using oh, uh, razors, whatever materials I could make. And I started, that's how Franklin sold me, by the way, Chris. Is he actually showed me the? Uh, it was kind of an ugly <laughs> prototype, but it was great. It was just, it was uh, you know just the whole experience of putting that particular material on your face was so inventive, and you could see what it could be. But uh, 
yeah, we're, we're able to, you know, kind of get the first people involved and even get the first bits of uh, investor funding off yeah. of the, the, the yoga block. Yeah, so the yoga block uh, proved the point of it being lightweight and durable. We could drop it. We could toss it around. It was comfortable. Um, and that sort of uh, was the beginning of it. And then we had to figure out, you know, a lot more practical applications of uh, how we we're going to get a business built around this and how we we're going to be able to develop the product off of a yoga block. So there were some, some definite challenges along the way, but uh, now we have uh, we're uh, getting close to our beta prototype, which is um, essentially uh, our release candidate. Um, and we've been using a uh, uh, process of creating um, molds out of CAD files and 3D printing them and then using uh, foam that's used in the uh, movie industry for making foam props like foam swords. And uh, we have a little sweatshop here in San Antonio. We're basically churning these out by the dozen and iterating really, really quickly. So uh, the products that we pull out of these molds that we're making are pretty close to what the factory is going to be producing. Um, and quality-wise, I mean, they are handmade, but uh, uh, once we go to the factory production, it just gets lighter, better. Everything kind of uh, takes that next level of uh, quality. Can you enlighten me on as to what is a, a yoga block? The yoga block. Okay, yeah. So um, I take it you've never done yoga? Uh, no, I, I've done yoga. It's just I, the concept of yoga block is uh, unfamiliar to me. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're probably more flexible than me then. I have to use a yoga block. Basically, what we use the yoga blocks for when uh, we're doing yoga is like if you can't actually touch your toes, um, if you still want to you know, do the moves that everybody else is doing, you'll, you'll use a yoga block to help support you. So it's just a, a solid piece of foam. Um, it just, it, as far as material goes, it's very sturdy, um, it's soft, and it's also very durable. So that was just a good starting point. You know, it's something that people are using in um, environments where they may get sweaty. They're they're using it every day, so it has to have those sort of properties. So that it's a great material to start from. Before I move on to asking you a, a bit more specific questions about the actual prototype, why VR? What is the fundamental allure, 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 allure? Uh, for you, uh, out of out of virtual reality, why did you? Uh, what attracted you in the first place? Oh yeah, you know, I think I'm, I'm probably like a lot of people, it's just so mind blowing. I mean, you, once you experience it, you realize like, wow, this is the future. It's one of those paradigm shifts, just like uh, you know what I would imagine. Uh, when people first saw film or, or television or the first time they heard radio, it is that dramatic of a shift in what we are able to create as humans as our um, medium of expression. So I immediately grasped onto that. It's like, okay, this is going to change how we you know, deliver entertainment uh, and experiences forever. So I, I just got it. It was immediate and, and so visceral, and I wanted to be a part of it. And, it, and my skill set just fit within, like, oh, I can actually create really amazing things now. And, and Chris, you know, Franklin and, uh, handles all the technical stuff at Merge, and I handle the business side. So I agree with Franklin. You know, that's what I, you know, when I he first showed me the prototypes and I saw what it could be, I said, you know, this is the next great digital platform, and it can be, it can have as big as an impact on society as you know, mobile itself was in terms of you know all of those different aspects that Franklin mentioned. You know, beyond entertainment, you know, we're talking with uh, psychiatric research centers about how to use this for therapies. Uh, educational institutions, architects, engineers, uh, it really can be, you know, widespread and, and all-encompassing in, in, in its impact on society. So I saw it as a really exciting field to get into, and, you know, that, that's why I joined. Very cool. Uh, about the material that the device is made out of, if I – so I, I tried it out a couple times. I tried it last night, and I and I had, I had this question uh, in my mind where – 
you know, I, I was wondering how durable is this material? How, and, and I mean it by like over time, you know, will two years from now, will the material be as sturdy as it is when I bought it new out of the box? Um, what sorts of uh, solutions are you guys coming up with? And, you know, what are the, what what's the status on that? Sure. So, yeah, we are working with factories right now to do material selection. So these guys are a lot smarter than I am as far as understanding the uh, the, the, the properties of foam. But um, the, what we're talking about now is using uh, UV coatings, um, which is one of the uh, techniques that they use in uh, the foam manufacturing to prolong the lifespan of the foam. Um, so just like with any product, you know, you take care of it, it's going to last longer. You leave uh, anything out in the sun, even, you know, your high-end iPhone, you're going to damage it. So uh, the material will hold up uh, probably a lot better than most things as far as, you know, daily wear and tear um, because it is made out of foam. So it's soft. You drop it or you bang it around or you throw it in your backpack. It's not going to hurt the product. And I think that's where, you know, long term just, uh, you know, how long will the foam hold up versus how long will it last in day-to-day -day use? I think we have a, a real advantage there from using the foam. Yeah, and Chris, a lot of it really is in the formulation. You know, you can make it as low-end or as high-end as you want to make it with foam, uh, you know, all the way down from those, you know, cheap, uh, giant number one souvenir hands, you know, at a football game, mm -hmm. all the way up to, again, the world of yoga. You know, yoga mats are incredibly durable, or even if you think about Tempur-Pedic, you know, just as, as an analogy, it can be uh, high-end. You can have protective skins on it, the antimicrobial capabilities. It's all in the form. Very cool. How about the remote? I'm, I'm very curious about this uh, input device that you guys have come up with. Uh, yeah, talk to me about the process of creating it and, and, and iterating it and, you know, what, 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 what did that look like? Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, this was fundamental as far as our usability, um, just trying to make this system work out of the box. Um, one of the big problems, of course, is that we don't have a universal input device for VR right now. Um, there are a lot of really interesting uh, um, controllers out there and a lot of different approaches, but we wanted to make sure that our customers had a universal input and that our developers could, could know that, that that the end user was going to have that in their hands. So it's just trying to solve that problem. That way um, applications can be developed knowing what the input device is going to be. Um, so we knew we needed to uh, build something. Uh, uh, the first step was trying to figure out how we could get some some motion into this input device because um, you know VR is a new medium, and uh, yes, we can use a standard game controller to control these environments, but uh, really to push the medium forward, we need something that allows you to use your hands and to interact with this virtual world, reach in and manipulate things, swing a golf club or a sword. And uh, so that that's the, the primary goal with our input device. Um, so the, the process that we've taken just to expedite things as, um, as we work on building our custom hardware uh, is we um, basically looked what was available out there um, that we can get our hands on um, as soon as possible and uh, searched and found uh, that the Texas Instrument uh, Sensor Kit um, contained most of the components that we wanted to put in there. So we started with that, and that's really kind of expedited the uh, development of the SDK. Um, so uh, on the TI Dev Kit, it has uh, your various motion sensors, your compass, your accelerometer, your gyroscope, but it also has Bluetooth LE capabilities. So um we wanted to use Bluetooth LE as the base for the connection to the mobile device because it doesn't require pairing, which is just another step that we're removing hmm. for you know, 
users purchasing the product and being able to get immersed in virtual reality. Yeah, Chris, th this is a great example of how sometimes, you know, a seemingly small touch, you know, to tech savvy people like us is actually a big thing, you know, in the broad consumer market. Mm -hmm. As we've done our testing and, and talked about the concept and showed demos to people, particularly, it's usually, you know, a lot of times the dads will say, and they've actually used this phrase, you mean I don't have to be the help desk for this? You just, it just, you know, my son turns it on and it just works. Awesome, I'm in. You know, that's, a, that's a really important factor. As seemingly small as that is, it's just all of these small touches. And we like to say that we have an unhealthy obsession with uh, ease of use. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I I want I want it to become as seamless and as pain free as possible, even though it's insanely convenient already uh, for, with most technology out there. And I, I, I think you guys are taking that into mind uh, in terms of price. What is it, uh, you know, what are, what are you guys aiming for? How did you come up with the, uh, um, you know, I understand if you are unable to share that, that information, but, it, you know, how were you able to, uh, it, it, you know, come up with the number that you're looking for? Um, and, and, yeah, in general, like, what is, uh, how, how is the price point looking like? Yeah, um, I can say what our, uh, what our goal is, Chris, mm -hmm. is, uh, and, you know, and this is public, uh, information out there on the on our website we do have a pre-order functionality where uh, the standard bundles we call it of one uh, headset one one goggles and one grip controller would retail for $99 and that's what we'd sell for it direct and uh, by fortunate coincidence you know both the top-down desire to set that price point under 100 and kind of bottom up you know what our cost of goods sold is looking like you know we're still optimistic, you know, that's going to, that it can come in, you know, within, you know, that kind of range. Um, so, you know, that's, that's what we're still trying for. And if I were to, if I were a developer and I, and I want to be able to, uh, utilize a PS3 controller or a, a different set of, a different Bluetooth controller with my, uh, with my game or experience, uh, is it, is it, am I locked into your controller or am I able to, um, you know, yeah. integrate different. Well, that's a good question. And, uh, definitely, you know, my background is, uh, development as well. So I'm really trying to cater to the development community and all those challenges that we have, you know, uh, with these sort of, uh, situations. So, um, not in the current version of the SDK, but we are building into the SDK support for third party controllers. Very cool. So make sure that's really easy to do as well. So we're going to abstract all that logic for you. So when you uh, plug into the SDK and you start uh, writing your controller code, you shouldn't have to do anything special. It should just automatically work on another um, system. So for instance, if you load a, a Merge app or an app that you built with a Merge SDK and you load it up on a Google Cardboard and you have a PlayStation controller, it should be fine. And that's kind of what we want. We want to make it you know, we, we want developers to be able to build applications and put it everywhere. We're not just trying to own it and say, okay, no, you're locked into Merge. It's like, no, get it out there. Make some money. Let's bring up this whole industry and everybody can be successful. Nice. What about this social dis – it's not a social discovery. It's a discovery platform that you're utilizing. Tell me more about it. How Again, how did it come about? You know, what was the brainstorming process behind it and, well, and all that good stuff? Yeah, uh, the brainstorming process behind it, Chris, is that uh, you know we mobile apps in general, you know, in the two D world, have this big discover discoverability problem, uh, and it's on both sides. It's for the developers, but it's also for the users. You know, as I kind of mentioned earlier, um, users don't like you know e even though in theory we like having this choice of you know I guess now in some of these uh, 
platforms, you know, approaching a million available apps, you know, that also creates a huge discovery uh, issue, you know, for the users. And what we're trying to do, let's, let's say the intention, and I, we don't pretend to have it all figured out yet. A lot of this is going to be in the implementation, in the visual design, in the process. Um, but what our strategy is, what our intent is, is, you know, that the good stuff rises to the top and it's really easy to find. Um, for the users and that, you know, we're really celebrating the quality applications, you know, that, that are created and that they're, uh, you know, they're just easier for both sides to find each other is the intention. So, uh, you know, what that might mean is, you know, in terms of the design is that, you know, the majority of the visual real estate, if you will, will be, you know, kind of the featured apps, the quality apps, whatever that means. And that's something we'll have to define over time. Uh, in terms of how they get set, but uh, you know, it, it is going to be a fairly open platform. You know, this isn't about censorship, but uh, you know, just making sure that the good, you know, the cream is rising to the top and easy to find. Yeah, in terms of that, I was going to ask you, how will the cur curation process take hold? Will it be something that is being done uh, by you guys, or will it be done by a community of people voting up the most uh, impressive experiences? How do you think that will play out? Yeah, I think it's going to be a little bit of a mix, uh, Chris. I mean, the the, the underlying um, reason for the curation is, is well, there's m multiple reasons, but one of the main things that we're focused on is we want to make sure that the experiences that are available immediately are going to be safe experiences. And when I say safe, I mean that in multiple ways. You know, nothing that's overly gory or violent, um, things that are not going to, you know, have any traumatic impact on, on our users. Um, these are going to be, you know, 12 year olds, 10 year olds, you know, grandmas, people using this uh, technology for the first time. So we want to make sure that it's high quality, well thought uh, out experiences. So that's kind of our baseline is making sure that our customer can quickly get into VR and have a good experience and then make sure that there's nothing that's going to be really just overly negative. Um, and then from there, you know, that that uh, second level of you know community curation and you know voting and and um, you know rating of uh, applications will come into play. Cool and and so it just it, sorry if I'm a bit uh, uh, how do you say not lost but I am I'm trying to find my way in this. Will it so I will be able to download uh, merge VR applications. Uh, or VR applications off of a store that you guys are going to have? Or will it be something that you guys will direct me to the Google Android page of VR applications? How will, how, how will, what will that look like? Sure, yeah. So um, we're not going to have a store, so we won't be charging the user ourselves. So okay. there won't be a payment gateway that merges controlling, and we don't want to control that. Um, so yeah, at, at the point of purchase, um, there you will be redirected to um, the uh, iOS store or the Google Play store and, or Amazon yeah. or Windows or whoever, uh, whatever platform you're on. Oh, so so you guys are planning on being on all the all the mobile major mobile platforms. Uh, so yeah, absolutely, and we think that's. Uh, you know, one of the big differentiators that we have, Chris, is that, you know, I'll just kind of tell you what our, our general strategy has been is that we want to support not only, you know, iOS and Android, but also something that you already have in your pocket. So, you know, the in terms of the design on the software side and also, you know, in the headset and what it's accommodating is we aim for basically, you know, the vast majority of smartphones have been sold within the last two years. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, you know, one of the things that we deliberately do when we go out and give demos is we use, you know, the iPhone 5s and the Galaxy S4 and the LG 2s, you know, rather than 
you know, the, the, the newest models in each one of those. Um, and, and we found that, you know, that isn't just our own point of view, but as we've talked to, for instance, you know, some owners of uh, lots of family-friendly intellectual property, you know, they said, you know, in their research that, uh, you know, kind of the demographics that will be the earliest adopters, you know, those, those younger users, is they typically have an iPhone and it's usually dad's older model you know, rather than the very latest thing or the corresponding iPod touch. So that's been a major part of our strategy is that we want to be, you know, a universal support uh, platform. In terms of uh, your users, uh, I noticed that you're going for very focused, in a very focused way for the casual user being your, you know, your, your, your kid going off to soccer practice, your grandma. Um, and, and, Talking about children, what will be the minimum age that you guys think will be required to be able to utilize your device? You know, what we're thinking right now, and that's something that we continue to research, you know, prior to actually doing consumer launch, Chris, but our current thinking is, uh, you know, 10 and up. And that's something that we'll just kind of continue to revisit as we, you know, do the research on it. Yeah. What about... Um, the and sorry if my questions are all over the place, but what about the hardware necessary to run these things? You said iPhone uh, phones that are in the last two years, but can you get a little bit more specific into what sorts of specs are required to be able to run uh, the VR experiences that you guys envision? Sure. So um, now we're talking about casual VR experiences. So I think that there's a different bar that's set when you're when uh, we start thinking about what kind of experiences we want on our platform. Um, these are not going to be you know, photorealistic, uh, you know, first person shooters. These are going to be more slower paced games with more simplified graphics and designs, which I think is a, a great aesthetic. And I think it's a great style and a good place to start. Um, so those are the experiences that are going to be running on these sort of uh, on these mobile phones. But um, if you think about it, generally speaking, the iPhone five uh, is probably the lowest in model that will support. So that came out, you know, a couple of years ago, and it had the uh, Retina display, so it has a pretty good pixel density. Um, and then from there, Android kind of uh, took off and uh, started creating bigger phones that are more powerful and higher resolution screens. So the general um, technical specifications for these devices is that they have to be at least as big as the iPhone 5, um, and they have to have Bluetooth LE support. Um, other than that, uh, most of the higher-end phones, most of the, the major phones already have all the, the fast enough processors, enough RAM. They're, they're designed, uh, most of these are designed for being media uh, uh, players. They're designed for playing games and apps. So uh, because of that, their uh, internal structure for their GPU, CPU, and RAM and everything else is already configured to be this nice tight little loop in order to you know, drive these sorts of experiences. Can you go a little bit uh, deeper into defining what a casual experience is? So if I'm a developer and I'm interested in developing for this, how, you know, what are the parameters that are necessary for, 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 for a casual experience to become, to be an actual casual experience? Yeah, so I, I don't know that there's a hard and fast rule. Um, a good uh, uh, something to point at would be uh, Minecraft. Hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, that's a, uh, what we would see as kind of a, a casual uh, VR experience. Um, you know, uh, VR chat rooms are also kind of casual experiences. Um, 360 uh, video and 3D movies are, are kind of casual experiences. Um, Even you know, meditation apps, let's say virtual tourism. Yeah. Um, also fall into that category. I wouldn't say I, I agree with Frank. I don't think there's a hard and fast definition. I think it, you know maybe it's easier to kind of describe it against what it's 
not attempting to be, you know, that's not attempting to be uh, photorealistic, you know, that it's not all about, you know, the polygon count. Um, that, uh, you know, it's something that, you know, you're typically going to do for 10, 15, maybe 30 minutes at a time. Um, but it could be entertainment, could be education, could be tourism, um, could be therapy, could be meditation, could be a couple, could go a lot of different directions. Yeah, I think that, again, it's not a, a game that's designed to have a 30-hour, uh, you know, gameplay lifespan. It's something that's designed to be just pick, pick up and play type things. Um, you know, quick, easy experience, easy to get into, easy to have fun with. Um, I think the Nintendo Wii is a, a kind of a good platform to point to, to the kinds of experiences we have, or we, we want to have as far as graphic fidelity, uh, what, what they're going to look like, how they're going to feel. And that's kind of what we're shooting for as well. Very cool. What is, so I, I really like you guys' angle. I really like your, your, your positivity. Um, but I, I also want to ask you this, this sort of elephant in the room kind of question, which is, you know, what is it that makes you guys different from the other smartphone VR uh, holders? What makes you different from uh, the other startups that are uh, putting or, or trying to put products out there as well? Sure. Yeah, we're we're certainly not the only only one. I would say there's a, a couple of big differentiators, Chris. Um, the first one is, and it's both you know the individual pieces and then how it all fits as a whole. And so, kind of starting at the top, I would say you know the the most unique thing is I don't know anyone else that's you know in all of VR at least you know is putting something out there that has the end to end with the display and you know all the way through the controller. Um, you know, that, that is a very unique aspect in and of itself. Um, as far as the individual pieces um, with the headset, um, you know, the, the form factor is the most obvious one, right, with, with the choice of material. And by the way, it's not just the visceral aesthetic qualities of the phone, but it actually brings a lot of functional advantages that surprise people. Um, when you start looking at things like uh, making sure that the phone is perfectly centered, perfectly leveled, uh, foam has some really crucial advantages in that regard in the way that you adjust the lenses. Um, some of the other things that we're doing with the headset is uh, we've got some proprietary technology such that when you set the interpupillary distance and we detect the smartphone, we're, we, we're building the technology to optimize the display not only for you know the, the size and configuration, how we're using the screen, but also uh, optimizing the display for the user's IPD, including how we you know feed the pre-distortion uh, of the image through the lenses, you know, custom and we're building custom design lenses. So you know those are things that are absolutely crucial to the user experience, right? Uh, because it's, it's what they're viewing, and and it you know affects eye strain and, and some of these other crucial aspects um, for the the user's fundamental enjoyment of doing this at all. Um, and then you look at the controller, uh, you know, as far as we know, we're building the very first gestural controller in the world for mobile, um, you know, let alone integrating it with the, with the headset. And then there's a lot of cool things that we're, we're going to be doing with the SDK itself kind of behind the scenes in terms of what it's doing with the image, you know, the controllers. Uh, and especially when you start looking at things like, well, what if you have two people in the room that each have two controllers? You know, how does that get managed, particularly when you're doing it in a wireless manner? We're doing some really cool things there behind the scenes. Uh, and we think that the way we're going about the curation, you know, for the discoverability issue is a unique aspect. So, you know, all in all, uh, you know, it, it isn't just you know, the unique foam headset, you know, we're building a company that has a lot of powerful weapons is uh, probably the best way to put it. I like that. Um, 
what are your biggest challenges, uh, both on the technical side and the business side? And what do you think will be your biggest challenges a year from now, both on the technical side and the business side? You want to take the technical side, then I'll take the business side? Uh, yeah, so I, I would say the biggest challenges on the technical side is really building a robust SDK, something that is bulletproof and that um, developers can get into and make it as easy as possible. Um, that's the first prob problem that we're going to have to solve um, technically. And then outside of that is, is building a... Um, the merge start and making it as user-friendly as possible and making sure that um, we're really focused on the customer and building in the infrastructure that's going to support you know, um, a, a lot of great value add for them. And then third technical uh, issue is really making sure that um, we're keeping a close watch on phones and the performance and um, overall usability um, when we're dealing with uh, so many different uh, devices out there. So making sure that we're really conscious of that and trying to optimize everything and trying to make it as easy as possible. And Chris, what I would say uh, from a business standpoint is that, uh, you know, look, we're all, everyone, you know, uh, involved in this conversation and listening to this is a VR enthusiast and uh, it's one thing to say that, you know, there's lots of people trying to compete in what we're doing in mobile SDK. You know, Oculus now has, you know, increasing numbers of competitors over time. But if you go out into the general populace, like a great example is my sister is a very intelligent person. She's a physician. You know, she's never heard of Oculus. She's never heard of anyone in this space. You know, the, the whole industry still has uh, an awareness issue to build up that. Uh, if you went around saying even using the term virtual reality, the general populace would not know what that term means. <laughs> um, so, you know, we, we still have an industry to build out and uh, it's, you know, make the pie bigger for everyone before, uh, you know, start worrying over who has, you know, how big a piece of the pie. Um, but that said, I would say, yeah, there are a lot of people um, that are trying to compete in what in what we're doing. And it's kind of rising above the noise. Um but I think another interesting business challenge is, you know, this probably isn't going to be one selling directly to the consumer online, although there will be a substantial business, that a lot of this is getting retail distribution. You know, and that's how we're going to build awareness is how, you know, the great thing for our industry is that when we're able to put this, you know, on people's faces, you know, it's absolutely magical. But that's also the big challenge is for a while now before the word spreads is how do we get, you know, the users to experience it in the first place. So, uh, you know, that's a big part of uh, our, our uh, you know, the challenge and also, you know, our strategy. And that's why we're, you know, focusing kind of behind the scenes on, uh, you know, deep in the conversations with resellers, you know, talking about, you know, unit orders in the tens of thousands. Um, and also, you know, enterprise deals where we're talking about, you know, selling tens of thousands of units for, for various marketing purposes. Um, so it gets really interesting. But overall, it's still, you know, the industry still has an awareness issue. Yeah. And that's an interesting that. Yeah, that is an actually uh, very valid point. I, I, I get in any every cab ride that I've written in the last uh, few weeks. Um, I bring up virtual reality and, and it's, it's an awesome conversation because it's something that every, that no one has heard about, like that I've written on an Uber with and it's, uh, it's cool, but yeah, cause it's like, you know, you, you get to teach people or you, you get to enlighten people about this really cool thing happening, but it's, uh, it's, you know, but you, you sort of get caught up in the bubble. <laughs> you go to yeah, the, all these meetups and I, and you like, 
and you feel like the, the whole world is about to reach critical mass but no it's it's still bubble um but it's it's growing and it's it, and what do you think it's going to take though i mean is it going to take the marketing is it going to take is it going to just going to take really really solid products to get the word out what do you think it's going to take to um get this out there well, sometimes we joke that it's you know it's gonna you know an Oprah moment where help would help and you get a headset and you huh. get a headset you know but uh, more seriously I, I think it's gonna be you know word word will word will spread um, you know and it's already starting to uh, and I think one of the things that will help just get really specific is multiplayer games where you have uh, you know someone who you know has a rift or merge goggles or something else and they they there's a great app that they want to play with their friends and they, you know, pester their friends to get one. So that friend goes home and says, dad, 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 you know, until dad, you know, buys him one. And so I think, you know, that that's going to be one specific way that virtual reality spreads. Um, but I tell you another really interesting angle uh, and one that we're starting to be presented uh, a lot of opportunities and having some agencies and, and agents come to us saying, you know, we love your delivery platform. And because we've got uh, brands who want to use a you know, brand new medium to do something that's far more immersive, you know, something really unique to call attention to their brand. And, and what they want to do is build a really cool app or game or experience or what have you, you know, using VR, AR, sometimes even just spherical video. And they want to use our platform and, and, and even prepay for a, a ton of headsets from us and give them away or even mail them out to people or, or otherwise make them uh, available. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's kind of this combination of bottoms up, but also, you know, top down enterprise deals that really get this going to really get these units out into a lot of people's hands and people go, what's this? And there's instructions on how to use it. And, you know, this is their first experience and it's magic and, you know, they want more of it. Yeah, I'm with you. What are your, what are your thoughts on Samsung gear? VR and and the and Oculus um, or do, do you guys see them as competitors or are we all in the same boat together and you know when a rising tide raises all boats what what's uh what's your take on these two other companies I, I think you know I think the current state of the industry is the rising tide you know uh, raises all boats um, the way that we look at it, you know people often ask us particularly when we're talking to you know prospective investors like you know how are you going to compete against Oculus and the way that we've been we're not competing against Oculus. Um, you know, and, and particularly not against the Rift. The way that we see it, you know, Chris, it's interesting because a lot of times in the technology world, we look at this, you know, gold medal effect where, you know, the first place winner has 90% market share. But virtual reality devices, you know, at the end of the day, they're really consumer products. And if you look at consumer product categories, you know, there's no car at least in the United States or anywhere in the Western world that has 90% market share. And there's no TV that has 90% market share. You know, it's not like social networks or messaging or, or, or search engines. So, you know, it's really going to be a lot more of a spectrum of different price points that deliver, you know, different things that, you know, you would call performance or quality or, or what have you. So we really see that there's going to be different winners at different price points delivering different things. Obviously, we think that we have the sweetest sweet spot out there, but, you know, there's going to be role for hardboard. There's going to be a role for the Rift. There's going to be a role for the Gear VR, and we think there's going to be a fantastic place in the world for Merge. 
Nice. Yeah, that's a very, uh, I, I like that. I, I like that view. Um, because I, I think that's exactly what's going to happen. I, I feel like it's going to parallel mobile, the mobile industry, you know, there's, you, you see, there's Samsung has a clear advantage in, in, in Android, but overall, I would say that there is no one phone to rule them all either. Um, even right. though iPhone might be so really popular in the US, it's not the same in the rest of the world. And I think yep. VR is going to follow that same trajectory, I think. Um, so what do you think are going to be, I mean, what is the ultimate goal? Where are you guys planning to be or you see yourselves being five years from now? Hmm. Um. I would say that uh, you know it kind of follows along uh, what we're what we're kind of talking about, but just kind of talking about the whole biz model. You know, five years from now, it's not that just that we're selling lots of merge goggles and lots of merge grip controllers, but what we've done is build out uh, you know a really good size, but not necessarily ginormous you know library of applications. And what we have a brand name for is all the stuff that's in there is really good. You know, and, and really, you know, quality, you know, that's obviously an ethereal thing and a hard thing to kind of set a specific definition to. But in general, that's what we have a brand name for, that it's got a good size library, lots of experiences, lots of different types of experiences. But you can count on when you go search through our discovery portal, you know, all the stuff in there is really good. And furthermore, it isn't just about the specific apps, but, you know, we're providing premium services, uh, particularly cross-platform, you know, cross-application, that there's lots of interesting things that we're doing uh, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, even things like Merge Money or, uh, you know, what have you. Uh, but, you know, lots of different services, and, and there's a reason that you want to do business with Merge because it isn't just the individual apps, but the whole experience that we're bringing to the table. And, you know, we're out there not only selling online, but we're in a ton of different uh, retail distribution channels. And, uh, you know, this, but more, more generally that we are a big player in the next great digital platform. And we're one of many, you know, very successful companies. Yeah. What, so your, your, your strategy is uh, you, you guys are avoiding the Kickstarter model. I, I take it, right? Uh, I wouldn't say that we're avoiding it. it it's definitely on the table, um, Chris. Um, it's, uh, one of the things where, you know, just to kind of give you some context, uh, you know, we've been out of, uh, uh merge, uh, I'm sorry, we've been out of, um, stealth mode for only about a month now. And our kind of first coming out party was the, the Unite conference and so we were also at the Oculus Connect conference. So, and, you know, we kind of hit the, hit the ground, uh, running and, and hit the world by storm. We got a lot of people, wow, who are these guys? So we've only recently even started talking about who we are. And so we are planning, you know, for, um, you know, full PR launch and, and all that and, and doing a Kickstarter. But, uh, you know, what, what's also come, you know, been a very pleasant surprise is we're being presented with these giant enterprise opportunities and, uh, you know, for like tens of thousands of units at a time. So that may be how we kind of first become known to the broader world even before doing a Kickstarter. But it, it Kickstarter is still definitely on the table. Yeah, those purple goggles are uh, are kind of hard to miss. I gotta yeah. say, so so they caught my attention. You know, Good for the marketers. Yeah, I was gonna ask about the possibilities of using or utilizing or integrating augmented reality along with this, because at the end of the day, you do have a device, being a smartphone, that can I think can do both. You, I've I've actually had augmented reality experiences with with um with with the dive but i wonder what you guys what you guys take on that i didn't 
I, I wish I had taken a closer look, but does it have a, a way for the camera to peek out and then be able to produce augmented reality experiences? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we see augmented reality as being um, just as important as virtual reality. Um, it's, it's a little different. It's kind of, um, I don't know, maybe a subset of virtual reality. But uh, when we show this around to people, I mean, they're blown away by the virtual reality. But when we show them augmented reality, it's just literally people's brains explode in front of us. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it's, it's just such a different type of experience. People can't understand how we're taking this digital content and, and mixing it with the real world. And at, at, at the end of the day, really where our name comes from is merge, uh, merging the physical and the digital. So it's at the core of what we want to do. And um, we see it as a super social experience too, being able to have uh, shared space, augmented reality experiences, tabletop games, um, and then just adding a digital layer to physical items. Um, if you can imagine a kid's room and the posters are windows to other worlds and the dog dish is actually your digital dog's dish and uh, just adding that layer to as many things as possible. So we, we definitely see augmented reality as a huge part of what we're going to be doing and we're focusing on it heavily. Um, right now we are uh, utilizing the Qualcomm Euphoria library. Um, everything that we're doing is based in Unity at the moment and uh, we're just, again, use the tools that developers are using, not try to reinvent the wheel and make anything complicated, but fit within that as um, seamlessly as possible. Gentlemen, I want to welcome you both to the uh, rabbit hole section of the podcast where we talk about things that are randomly uh, circumventing inside my brain. Then the first question okay. is, um, welcome. So the first question is, um, <laughs> what is, what do you, what do you think is going to be the ultimate end goal of T this technology B vr like where is it gonna end up 20 10 20 years from now how, how what will it look like what do you guys think um you know i think one of the terms i like to think about is that you know we have the idea of collective consciousness but i think vr is really kind of the collective compassion or the empathy machine it really is going to enable us to connect and just profound new ways to people across the planet you're no longer going to be in isolation um and i know the internet has you know really started that and uh you know uh, multiplayer games is a big part of that too but i think virtual reality really gives us another way to connect with people and to socialize and to communicate so i see that as probably the most profound impact that it's going to have on, on society. But then in, in general, just the, the, this, the change in the way we can experience mediums. Um, and I think a lot of artists and a lot of uh, filmmakers and storytellers are going to really uh, find, you know, profound new ways of, uh, of, of delivering their, 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 their stories uh, to us. That's going to um, impact us deeply. So um, overall, uh, I think every, Households going to have one of these, uh, you know, some sort of virtual reality viewer. Um, we're all going to connect in certain ways, um, and I think it's going to affect every industry. Um, just through the conversations we have, it uh, just talking to people that are not in the game industry or not in the virtual reality industry. Almost every single person says, oh, I can use this for this. And yep, they give us a absolutely. use case. Um, and I think that's what's going to happen. It's like a website. And pretty much every industry is going to have a virtual reality application for what they do. So um, it's going to get smaller and more integrated and easier and lighter. And everything's just going to be more streamlined. But, uh, yeah, it really is. Um, yeah, uh, I would say that the notion that really excites me, Chris, is that, uh, you know, anytime a new 
breakthrough technology platform comes along, like we believe virtual reality, augmented reality, you know, is, is that it's all the stuff we, we didn't imagine when it started. You know, when you kind of look at what happened with mobile, where the PC revolution happened, when the internet came along, you know, it just went in directions that no one would have guessed, you know, at the very beginning. I would say that's the notion that excites me the most is when you ask that question, like, I have no idea where this is going to go, <laughs> but it's going to be, it's really going to shake up the world and I think going to be really exciting. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you both, actually. I'm 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 100% uh, Franklin when he says that this is going to become an, an empathy uh, creation device, uh, and I and I and I agree with 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 you, Andrew, in terms of like there's no way of telling what it's going to look like, but it's going to look really crazy when it when we get there. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, what a what a wonderful ride we're on. What is it that the, about VR? Do you think that might put people off though like i wonder if there's if there's an aspect to it that might not be for everyone because I, i i like to think that it's that it'll revolutionize everything uh or permeate every aspect of human life on earth but i also think that it might not be for everyone you know what do you what's your take on that question or on that on that aspect I, you know i would say you know chris um you know anytime new technology platforms come along you know it, it's Fundamental human nature uh, doesn't necessarily change. I, I like to think it gets a little better, but uh, you know, there, there's still kind of uh, you know the downsides of of human nature and how we apply uh, and use any new technology. I'll say the first thing that comes to mind um, is that I would, uh, and I and I have had people express you know the fear of okay, yet because this is so immersive, um, particularly for some personality types, are they really susceptible to getting lost in these virtual worlds at the expense of, you know, coping with the quote real world, you know, outside of that, that, you know, we still need to live with then. Um, so I, I think the industry needs really needs to be responsible about, you know, letting us enjoy, you know, all the power that this new medium brings to bear, but, you know, make sure that we're still, you know, maintaining our you know, <laughs> citizenship and participation in the, in the world outside of, you know, the, the, the VR experiences and AR experiences. Yeah, that's definitely a solid, valid conversation to try to have some at some point as an industry, as a community, about the you know the possibility of of people getting uh, too into it or too uh, too addicted. I don't know. It's I I you know I struggle with that question a lot uh, because I you know I was I was raised by two different households. I, like one one household was super uh like socialist <laughs> and the other one was pretty libertarian pretty conservative so i see both sides and i honestly can't think of a solution that could satisfy or could be a, a good compromise for what this potential problem will look like i guess we'll have to cross that bridge when we get there <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now the that we're going to need help outside of the technology world to you know address these things you know we're going to get into you know, ethicists um, and, and social scientists, uh, you know, it were, it, it... Hello, Andrew. Yes, can you hear me? So, yes, I lost you at social scientists. Oh, sorry. No, I'm just saying that I think we'll be calling on people from other fields mm. uh, to help us solve this problem, that it isn't just going to be the, the current technology enthusiasts that are helping to pioneer this. Let me ask you about the the neurological aspects of this medium because I think that there is nothing else out there 
uh, quite like this in terms of how it makes me feel inside my head. <laughs> and and yep. so I, I, you know, I wonder what you got, what you guys' thoughts are, are on this. Are we, you know, changing our physiology the more we go in VR? You know, what do you think are going to be the long-term impacts of the, on the human brain of, you know, long-term use in, of virtual reality? Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting. Um, I, you know, just to kind of step back a little bit from that conversation, it's, you know, it's proven that people that read books more, you know, have different uh, neurological uh, pathways than people that don't. So I think anytime that you're immersed in something that has a profound impact on you, it definitely does affect you. Now, where I think virtual reality, where we have to be very mindful and, and, and thoughtful about it is you're not necessarily in control. We're delivering this experience to you, mm. and uh, it's beyond your imagination. It's actually being fed directly to you. So um, we want to make sure that, you know, as that's part of the reason that we feel it's so important to provide um, a discovery platform that has been curated so that, you know, we don't just throw people into these potentially traumatic situations. Um, and, you know, long term, uh, it's something that we really want to help um, sort of understand what that means uh, through research, through um, any sort of, uh, you know, uh, programs that are, are exploring this and, uh, you know, kind of take it easy, take it slow and not just trying to jump in and because it's so cool, let's just uh, throw everything that we can at it. Um, but but, but uh, let society sort of a, a, adapt to the technology, mm -hmm. you know, kind of, uh, technology moves so quickly, I think we have to, you know, with, with virtual reality, kind of take it slow. Yeah. Uh, and did you have something else to say, Andrew? Sorry. Uh, no, sorry. Oh, okay. I think it's got something going on with the Skype call. Oh, okay. Um, well, I was. See, there's something I've been thinking about uh, uh, quite often and and uh, and a lot actually. Um, and I the idea of creating uh, simulations inside VR that could mimic. Uh, ways of human organization. So, for example, here's a here's a, the other here's the thing the other, the other day that I was thinking about. Like, what if we could, what if we could recreate in VR and and perhaps get like a, a, a group of a thousand people to come on and volunteer to be part of this experiment, where we would, uh, we would take a hundred, you know, take two hundred people, two hundred people, and two hundred people, and two hundred people, um, five groups, and we set those groups of two hundred people in a simulation that recreates what true capitalism would look like, true socialism would look like, true... And then you know how the game Civilization plays out, sort of? Yep. And then see... And, and try to see these five things, you know, the and then, you know, a utopian sort of world. And then you try to see these five you know simulations running with the real people in them and nice. and and seeing what would come out out of that do you do you think there's there's social value outside of you know just just casual experiences that we could perhaps utilize to create better governments better forms of organizing ourselves um better systems and institutions well i, I would certainly like to think so and, and i and i do think so uh, because when you start you know, running experiments like that, you know, you do have the garbage in, garbage out issue of, you know, what are you programming in terms of how is the experience going to run, but still there's a lot of information you can gather about, you know, observing the participants' behavior when they go through an experiment, an experience like that, um, an experiment like that. And, you know, just as by way of quick tangent, um, Chris, one thing that was really 
in a very interesting way, the most profound experience I've had so far in virtual realities. Um, do you remember the Silicon Valley virtual reality conference? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to remember there was, there was uh, uh, someone there who had very high-end photography equipment, and he set you in a scene, you know, and this was a Rift application. And at first you're, stand, you're standing on his balcony, you know, overlooking, you know, a, a city scene. And, you know, you're just kind of standing there, nothing's going on. Then all of a sudden he pops into view. And just starts staring right at you, and you know, and that guy, you know, so this is going on in the Rift app, and the guy is actually, you know, who's the owner of the business. He's sitting right next to me, and I know he's there. And intellectually, I know this is <laughs> this is all not real, but it really creeped me out. And he starts walking closer and closer to you, and I was like, oh man, you're really invading my personal space, you know, <laughs> stop it. And he does this over, you know, about four times. And the reason I'm kind of bringing all this up is that even though something so simple that intellectually I know what's going on. It really did fool me. Um, you know, to your question, you know, if we can really plant people in these different simulations and different types of experiences, whether it's government or you know action sports or something, you know, it's kind of scary, something fun, whatever it is that you want to recreate, it's so enveloping that you know being able to you know measure people's reactions to that, I think, would just be incredibly informative in an infinite variety of. Uh, uh, study fields, you know, uh, whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish with that experiment. So I think you, this really is a powerful new medium that goes well beyond entertainment. Yeah, I'm with you. Do you guys think that there's anything that could stop this now? Do you think that there's, is there, you know, what what could happen aside from a super volcano going off or a super X-class solar flare hitting the Earth and wiping out our atmosphere and we end up like Mars? Like, what do you guys think could stop VR at this point? You know, it's interesting when you mentioned those uh, catastrophic situations. I think those would actually be, you know, catalysts to make VR even. Yes, you know, you're right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, you can't go outside and socialize anymore, so yeah, you're going to need a VR headset. Um, hopefully that's not the case. But, um, you know, honestly, in some shape, uh, or form VR is you can't stop it. Um, even if it, if what we're doing today, something, um, some negative event happens and it has, uh, you know, uh, corresponding a, a negative social uh, opinion of VR, it's going to keep shifting and 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 changing because it's it's not just virtual reality. It's also 360 uh, movies. It's also augmented reality and uh, digital eyewear in general. And it's coming from so many different directions that. Um, I, I don't think it's going to get stopped. I, I think there's no way. There may be some stumbles and some high-profile uh, incidents, but I agree. I, I think it's unstoppable. Yeah, and with that being said, I am going to thank you both for your time. It's been a wonderful. You guys are true scholars and gentlemen of virtual reality. How can people stay in touch? How can people follow what you're doing and, and all that good stuff? Um, our, uh, uh, our website is www.merge vr.com that's m-e-r-g-e-v-r.com um we do have an email newsletter uh we have a twitter account um we have uh, we're on facebook and we are accepting pre-orders for those who would uh, you know like to join our revolution and, and uh, uh jump onto what we're doing uh we're chris thank you so much for having us on this has been awesome thank you very much chris really appreciate the time you spent with us today you know it's the the pleasure has been all mine uh thanks guys have a good great right. day Take care.